our friend and uh, Kentucky Baptist Convention church consultant Rick Howerton, he often says this statement that spiritual growth begins with discomfort. Spiritual growth begins with discomfort. I think the hel- statement's helpful, right? Because I, I, the reality is the church is often thought of a place where we should come and never feel uncomfortable. But the reality is that's just not truth, right? I think the idea that today, even as you, maybe you see the title on the screen or there on, on your screen at home, church discipline probably for some of you makes you begin to feel really uncomfortable just hearing that word. And if I was really honest today, it's a challenge for me as well. Um, I've had some anxiety about preaching this message and preparing this message. Uh, we met with leadership several weeks ago and asked some of those guys, hey, listen, we're going to be t- t- taking on some tough text in the coming weeks. Be praying for us. And so... Um, Today's text is a challenge, all right? It, it's, a, it's a doozy, so to speak, a whopper, however you want to define it. Uh, man, it, it, it's one that, it, it's, it's a challenge. So um, I think it'd be helpful for my own soul just for a moment just to pray again. Um, and so if you would, just bow with me. Uh, Father, I just, uh, Lord, I confess um, some fears, anxieties I have in this moment of approaching a text like this. Um, I know that even folks hearing just those words, church discipline, or seeing the title on the screen, probably create some uneasiness in them, some um, uncertainty about where does this, where does this head, what's this going to be. And Lord, I, I just pray this morning that it would be your word that would speak. Um, Lord, I know it's only the Spirit who can transform us from one degree of glory to another. And so, Lord, I, I just want to trust in you. I, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I trust in the Holy Spirit. I know that your word is sufficient enough. So I just pray right now for grace upon grace. Um, for the people as they hear this word, that you would give them ears to hear what the Spirit's saying on the church. And Father God, that you would strengthen me now and help me overcome some of just these, these anxieties and things I'm dealing with as I prepare to preach this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Discipline's just a, a tough topic as a whole, right? I, I remember about an eight-year-old boy, um, my grandparents, they, they were putting up hay and, and they had left the tractor and the wagon out in the field and they'd all gone in the house to eat lunch. And so I, I snuck out and I jumped up on the tractor and man, I fired that bad boy up. And man, I literally can still hear my papa. I can see him coming out of that white house, trucking out through there, yelling my name and me turning the tractor off and jumping down and running as fast as I could to my house. And uh, discipline came swiftly. Um, I remember discipline in my life, uh, eighth grade. I was in Mr. Garrison's class and he was writing on the board, okay, and I thought since he was facing this way, right on the board, there was no way he could see me throw a paper wad across the classroom. I'll never forget those words. Mr. Jesse, would you please come to my desk? All the while, he's looking this way. And I still think to this day, like, how did he see me, right? I don't know how that works. You teachers, right? You gifted. Um, but it meant that day I was late to basketball practice, so I had to run there too because I ended up having attention. Now, being on the flip side of it, as a parent, I thought like, well, man, I get to be a parent. It'll be fun because the discipline then is just easier just giving out the discipline. Man, I found out that it's really hard to discipline those you love. Like it can be hard. I think each of these three remind us that sometimes the most loving thing we can do is to discipline someone. And I think it also has to say to us that sometimes the most unloving act is to enable someone. The truth is, since that time, I never started my grandpa's tractor again without permission. From that moment on, like it gave me a renewed sense of respect for my teacher even when he or she wasn't looking. And with our kids, our hope is as we discipline them that we're pointing them to Christ and the hope of repentance and that God's kindness leads us to repentance and the Holy Spirit will do a work in them. 
The truth is, let's be honest, when somebody sins, I think there's often like two polar opposites that we run to. One is like we kind of bury our head in the sand and like pretend that it never happened and just go on, don't say anything, act like it didn't exist. On the other end of that can be like, you know what, if that's who you are, that's how you're going to treat me, I'm totally done with you. And so you can just walk away from that relationship, that church, whatever it may be. But I, I think that's not what Jesus tells us to do. I don't think he says, bury your head in the sand, and I don't think he says, walk away. So I think today what Jesus is going to show us from this text in Matthew 18, 15 to 20, is that church discipline strives for restoration that is anchored in God's authority. So church discipline strives for restoration that is anchored in God's authority or God's word. Throughout Matthew 18, if you were this last week, you, you've been hearing about how this biblical community of believers is to live. And part of that was humility and making war on sin and, and how we treat one another and going after one another. And we realize that, guess what, as we come further to it this week, that God has created the church to be a grace to our life. That there is a church to walk beside us and love on us. And the church is not to be a place where you guys, where we're, we're permitting bitterness and, and conflict to rule our hearts and lives. But we're in fact called to walk in the light. And here's what's challenging about walking in the light. Is that we're called to do it with humility. And with that humility, it means that there's going to be times... We're going to be humble enough to allow someone to speak the truth to us in love. At the same time, there's going to have to be humility for us to walk beside one another, addressing blind spots and sin in the lives of another brother or sister. The truth is it's unloving to sweep sin under the rug, so to speak. Why? Because God in his love sent forth his only son. Why? Because sin separates us from God. Sin is serious, so much so, again, the Son of God gives His life on the cross for you and I. Sin is not to be approached casually. It is a serious matter. Therefore, we must address it. Church discipline simply is correcting sin, and we're going to see more to it as we come. But Jesus today in Matthew 18, 15 to 20, gives us three steps, I think, for church discipline and helps give us some clarity on what is the purpose or the aim of church discipline. So let's get there today. Begin with the first truth. Step one, right? So again, maybe thinking about three steps that Jesus kind of lays out here for us in the text. The first step of church discipline is this. Going to that person one-to-one. It's a private meeting, one-to-one, walking beside that person. Listen to what Jesus says, beginning in verse 15 of Matthew 18. If your brother, again, obviously the context sent, or your sister, so brother or sister, right? So another, another member of the church, another Christian. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and you you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So again, the issue is obviously there's someone that's sinned against them, right? This could be some intentional act, something that's happened that has hurt the other person, right? Maybe it's a word they said, maybe it was their actions, maybe it was their inactions, right? There was something that happened that offended, right? Or it may be the case that you are aware of another believer in the church of some area of sin, right? So it indicates that you've obviously seen it, you've heard it, somehow you become aware of the sin of another member of the church body. And so what is the call? Look what he says. So if your brother sins against you, here's the action. Go and tell him his fault. That's the call. Now notice what he says, though. It's interesting, right? Look how he says to do this. Go and tell him his fault, but listen to how we are to do it. Between you and him, what? Alone. Right? There's a sense in which 
right? I mean, that we're called to do this one-to-one. That's where it starts. So when you think about church discipline, often people think about, well, it's something that happens to church by as a whole. It's this big scene. No, church discipline is to be happening all the time. And predominantly, this is the step is where it happens the most. It's just one-to-one, right? I mean, the reality is, I don't know if you know it or not, but our church covenant actually speaks about things like church discipline. It specifically says this, that this was a commitment that we've made to one another as being members of this church. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love. It's a call to church. You've committed to it, right? To go and do these things one-to-one. It's a private, right? That's the intent. It's alone. There's a sense in which this first stage is private. Why? Because the intent is not to shame someone, right? The intent is to go and show that brother or sister, hey, listen, here's what the Scriptures say. Again, we're building our truth on the Scriptures say. And here's what I'm hearing or here's what I'm seeing in your life or here's how that, in, in, that interchange between us happened. And I'm coming to you to show you the Scriptures, brother or sister, and to compel you, right, to point you to Christ. But it's happening privately, one-to-one, right? The aim, again, is what? It's humility, the same thing we saw last week. And I think it brings up maybe another important question. Well, what is the aim of church discipline? Have you ever thought about that? Again, I don't know what you've heard about church discipline, the topic, and maybe, again, I, I don't know what your experience in past churches are, different things. But here's what I want you to know from the biblical text today, and Lord willing, as we come next week, even talk more about it more as we walk through Matthew 18. The aim for church discipline is restoration and repentance. It's not our goal to kick people out of the church or to shame people or to embarrass their family. That's not the aim of church discipline. That's why Jesus is saying it happens specifically here at the first stage alone, one-to-one. The aim, the plan is restoration, repentance, right? Guys, listen, we've got to get to the realization that repentance is a good word. In fact, Romans 2 and 14, you sang it last week, God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. So God obviously thinks repentance is good, and so He pours forth His kindness, His grace, His mercy unto you and I to lead us to a place of repentance. So again, church discipline, the aim is to make a sinner aware of their sin and ask if they would like to repent and have peace with God. It's not our job to change the person. We are simply saying, here's what the truth of Scripture says, brother. Sister, here's what it says, and here's what I've seen or heard. I want to compel you, right, in light of the Scripture to repent. Help me understand maybe what I don't see in this situation. You might ask the question, well, how do we know? How do we know this is the aim? Well, listen to what Jesus says. So if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If, notice the statement here, if he listens to you, you have gained, or some translations render it, won your brother. So the word listen indicates, right, that they're saying something like, you know what, you're right. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that, right? I mean, those moments happen probably a lot with, I don't know, in your home, with, with children and parents, right? I'll be honest with you. Sometimes just with my kids, I have to be honest and own it. Like, man, you do what? You're right. I, I shouldn't have blown up in that moment. I, I didn't show grace and mercy. I wasn't being the loving father that the Scriptures call me to be. Right, those help happen in just one-on-one conversations with other individuals in the church, just moments of acknowledge, I'm sorry, man, I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have treated you that way, or I'm sorry that you're hurt that I wasn't present at that event in your life, and I could see how you would be offended by me not showing up for that or something, right? I mean, there's just moments in which, again, we're just listening, right? So if they listen to you, there's an acknowledgement, I'm hearing you, I hear what you say. Notice what he says again, you have gained or you have won your brother. Why? Because there's value in the other person. Remember, again, this is the context of the church. This is last week. When we heard, if you have 99 sheep and one of them leaves, what do you do? 
You go after that one. This is that happening. This is that moment of going after that one. And you're hoping to gain or win that brother. Why? Because that is someone for whom Christ died. That's their value. That's why we can't just allow them to walk off the scene or continue in that sin with not not speaking the truth. They have eternal value because Christ Himself gave His life for them on the cross. I recently read a story about a man who who went to a doctor and they they weren't sure exactly what was up and so they began to run tests, do blood work and and after a little while the doctor walks back into the room and and there's a somber look on the doctor's face. He says, "I, I have some bad news to tell you. The tests have revealed that you have rabies. And you're going to die soon. The man asks for a notepad and a, and a pen, and he, he begins just to, to write. And the man says, man, are, are, are you writing down your will? He said, no, I, I'm making a list of people I'm going to bite. <laughs> the truth is, let's be honest, we all have those lists, don't we? List of people that have hurt you, stung you, done you wrong. You ever feel that? And what often happens, I'll be honest with you, what often happens is is that we've not gone and had that conversation one-to-one. And so therefore, we've carried that bitterness and that hurt for years. And again, it may be against another church. It may be against me. It may be against your spouse. It could be against parents. It could. I mean, I don't know who's done you wrong at different points. Someone in this community. And we all carry this list. But again, Jesus does not call us to hold on to this bitterness. He doesn't cause us just to say, stick your head in the sand and go on. He doesn't call us to say, just step away from the relationship and walk your own way. Jesus says, for those of us in the church, we are called to go one-to-one and to share the gospel. I think the first stage maybe brings some important questions. One, does this mean that every single time that someone offends you, that you need to go and tell them about it? I think the answer is no, right? And maybe I'll give a scripture and give an example. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. I think it's just a... A wise bit of wisdom here. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook an offense. There's going to be times, right, oftentimes throughout your life where you're just going to be hurt by somebody. Again, it could be their words, it could be actions, it could be inactions, right? There's a, a, a lot of opportunity day in and day out just to show grace. So you might be wondering, well, Blake, how do I know when to say something when I don't? This is not a perfect illustration, but one that's fit from this past week. So our boys like peanut butter and jelly, Okay. And so this past week, they had peanut butter and jelly, and I walked by the table after everybody had eaten, and what I noticed was peanut butter and jelly still laying on the table. We'd already talked about, hey, when you guys get done, clean up. It's like, you know what, man, they just forgot, grab it, I'll go put it up. A few days later, they had peanut butter and jelly again, and specifically one of them was eating, I said, hey, dude, when you get finished, make sure you put peanut butter and jelly away. I walked by about 15, 20 minutes later, guess what, peanut butter and jelly laid out everywhere. And so then I call him in and say, hey, bro, what did I tell you to do? You told me to put the peanut butter and jelly away. Did you do it? No, you disobeyed, right? So I'm going to ask you now to do that. We're going to have a conversation maybe just again about just responsibility. So do you see how the, one example, right, is just, hey, listen, it's an opportunity, Dad, just pick it up and do. Uh, it may be six, seven times, right? I mean, again, it just depends on the relationship. Depends on the situation. But there's moments in which, hey, guess what? Prudence says, you know what? It's time for me to have a conversation here. This has happened. This was pretty direct. This was pretty intentional. Right. So we're responding action. So, again, I think that's a wise question to ask. I think another question or application that arises from this first step of going them one to one is asking this to you. Honestly, who in this church are you actually opened up enough to to have conversation about sin in your life? Just 
being honest, it's oftentimes easy just to come and come to church and go back home and not open up your life to other believers. I don't think that's biblical church. I, I think the New Testament shows us that you and I need other believers speaking truth in our lives. I, it's just been my experience. I need accountability, right? I mean, I, I, accountability has been an important part of my life. I mean, way back, like the days with Charlie and the youth and Emily and Charlie were holding me accountable. It was just a time in my life when, guess what? I, I was struggling with some temptation on what I might look at on the computer and Internet. And I was, I was serving here in ministry. I want to be guarded against that. And so I, I, I needed Emily to hold me accountable, but I also needed one of our leaders to hold me accountable that knew me, that I saw face-to-face, who would be honest, and who I know hold me accountable. I just needed that in my life. That, that was 15 years ago now, but it, it was needed. Brother Todd's walked beside me so faithfully. I, Guess what? I, I want to encourage you. I, again, we've talked about community groups, and Adam's going to come in at the end and share a little bit about them. But community groups, listen, I mean, one of the questions that we ask every single week is this. Are there any areas of sin in your life that gone unconfessed before the Lord, your family, or, or other members in this group? I, I'll just be honest with you. I, this morning, in fact, Bobby D. and Ronald's accountability of my life and the fact that I knew I'd be meeting with them had an impact this morning on me getting up and going, right? Each week, I just kind of have some accountability with them on how I do. That's an area of my life that I struggle, so I'm just staying in the bed, not getting up, spending time alone with the Lord. I just need accountability in that area. So then this morning, when the alarm went off, I knew, guess what? I'm going to see those guys tonight face-to-face. They're probably going to ask me how I've been doing. That very thing empowered me this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. I know they're praying for me, but that accountability matters. So I want to ask you just honestly, who in this church have you as a church member opened up your life that you're walking beside them one-on-one or in some small setting where they have the privilege and the honor and the responsibility to speak with you openly about how you are living in your life? If you don't, I want to compel you. Community groups is a great opportunity to have that intentional discipleship and accountability. And here's the truth. We all need it. We all need it. I'm going to be straight with that. We all need it. So the question might come now, well, if we've gone to them, Blake, one-to-one, aiming for restoration, and that doesn't work, what's the next step? Well, Jesus says step two is this, bring along one or two others. The second step is, again, you've gone one-to-one. The second step now is to bring along one or two others. Look what he says back again, verse 16 of Matthew 18. But if it is not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So Jesus says to them, hey, listen, there's going to be times when that person that you've gone to one-to-one, they don't listen, right? They don't repent. They don't, they don't hear what you have to say. They don't recognize. They don't see it. He says the next step is to take one or two others along with you. You may be wondering, well, why in the world is there one or two others? Jesus is building upon Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. Look what it says here. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So Jesus is quoting from a judicial passage from Moses to said, here's how you are to judge criminal cases. That's the very context of Deuteronomy chapter 19. Jesus now taking that and applying it to the church, right? And so again, back in the text. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge. So again, there's some charge against this individual of some area of sin, a, a violation of the scriptures may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
So the question is, right, they're having to come and render some type of judgment, right? There's some type of evidence being given. And these two or three witnesses, Jesus says, that are coming alongside, right, so are, are helping to establish this, right? So you've got that one person. Now they've invited one or two others. There's two to three that are now present saying, hey, listen, here's what we're hearing. Here's what the Scriptures say. Here's what we're seeing in your life. Help us understand. Help us see, brother. Help us understand, sister. Right. I mean, the question is, right, and if you've been with us on Wednesday nights there in the month of January for about four weeks, we talked through conversion and how the church was important in our life. And we needed the believers, the other church body, right, to affirm. Guess what? Is this person's gospel profession true? Are they continuing to bear fruit that what they profess, that good confession here at the front or the good confession of their baptism right here in the baptistry at the river, are they continuing to bear the fruit that what they once professed is still true and genuine? But I think, again, the context of Deuteronomy 19, this judicial background, this court scene, so to speak, is a reminder to us about when it comes time for church discipline. It's to proceed slowly. Right? It's to be intentional. You're trying to hear evidence. You may be having to hear multiple sides to an argument. And it's to show grace. Right? But again, it's a time where you're hearing, you're weighing things that you're happening. Right? I mean, might we stop here for just for a moment and acknowledge the truth today? That we don't have a spiritual EKG. Like we can't hook my heart up to it. We can't hook your heart up to it to say, well, I know exactly the motives of what Blake was doing in that moment. Right? The reality is we don't have that. Only God can see the heart. So the question might become, well, like, well, what do we look for if we're one of those two witnesses? Like, how do we walk beside another brother or sister in sin? Pastor and author Jonathan Lehman writes a, a book on church discipline and gives maybe some insight in this area. I want, I want to list just five of the things he shares that I thought were just helpful. Number one. How long has that person been a Christian? Number two, does the sinner admit his action was wrong? Number three, does he seem genuinely grieved over his sin or is there a tone of annoyance in his confession? In other words, does it feel like he's standing on our side against the sin or is he defensive? Number four, is this a pattern? Is this a lifestyle? Five, is he welcoming counsel for how to fight against the sin or does he reject counsel, convinced that he knows best how to deal with it? Right again, why? Because this is happening, right? There's charges that are being made. Again, there's charges, there's evidence, right? We're trying to weigh what's happening here, what we're hearing, what we're seeing, examining. But I think, again, it's a reminder to us a pattern that's happening. Again, it was one-to-one, and now there's only one or two others. So at this point, right, there's just very few folks that are aware of the situation, the issue of what's happening. The point is constantly, right, there's, it's confidential, it's humble, it's gentle. The plan is to continually walk beside brothers and sisters privately to gain that repentance, to, to see us walk in faithfulness to the Scriptures. We might ask another good question here. Well, what's the identity of these one or two, right? Jesus says, take one or two others along with you. We might ask, well, who might that be? I think Galatians 6, it's on the screen there, gives some clarity to that. Listen to what it says as Paul writes. Beginning in verse 1 of Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. All right, so again, the issue is someone's being caught in a transgression. Some, some sin that's transgressing what the Word of God says. Notice who's called to go and do it. You who are what? Spiritual. Right. And the spiritual right people are called to come and that remember again, look at the aim. Don't miss this. Right. The aim here. The aim is restoration. Right. The aim is not shame. The aim is restoration should restore him. And notice how they're doing it. They're doing it in a spirit of gentleness. 
Right? I think Paul is writing to say we need mature believers in the church to walk beside in these situations. Why? I think the temptation may be for younger sheep to be easily deceived. To, they might be tempted to join them in the sin. That's what he says. Keep watch yourself, lest you too be tempted. They might hear the arguments from this person and, and be swayed by how persuasive that person is to think, you know what, the Scriptures may say that, but man, you know what, you, you appear happier. And after all, God wants us to be happy, and so who cares really about us being holy as much, right? Again, I, I'm, I'm pushing hard again on that. But the reality is that can happen. And so he says, listen, there should be those who are spiritual should come and restore them. I, I think it's interesting, again, that Paul here does not use the word. He could have, right? He could have said, you who are elders or pastors should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. He doesn't say that. I, I think the importance is, again, that it's someone who was wise, someone who has walked faithfully with the Lord for a lot of years. There's evidence of fruit of salvation and, and holiness in their life. And that wise, spirit-filled believer should come and walk beside them. Now, many times, let's just be honest, the reality is that ends up being one of the elders or pastors. That's part of their responsibility. Why? The New Testament says that pastors are to give oversight to the church. They're to give watch care to the souls of the people. That's part of our responsibility. So many times, that's who it's going to be. It's going to be one of the pastor's elders. But again, he says the word spiritual. So I think about moments in my life when 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 Forrest Kelly just sat me down and, and talked to me one-on-one. I'll never forget one of those conversations. He spoke the truth to me. He did it to me in love, but Man, he spoke some words that were for me hard in that moment to hear. But guess what? The fact that this was a holy, godly man, it just rung with, with, with this sense of humility, but also a call for me to submit. And so, again, I think Paul is saying to that to us. And again, it, it's important. Why? Because the next step is hard. I, I, w- I want to take maybe just for a moment here and make some application that, that's been extremely helpful in our home. Because I think this text has application to all kinds of different areas. But one that's been really helpful is the home. You guys are aware, right? If you've been around here any amount of time, you're aware that Emily and I are not perfect parents, right? I mean, stick around after church today, you'll probably see it, right? I mean, there's just, it's just obvious. And the reality is we're raising sinners. It's just true. So one thing that's been really helpful in our home is just to follow Matthew 18. Right. Again, this is going to be hard for some of you to believe. Right. Especially if you've had kids or grandkids or you've been around children much. But just hypothetically, there are moments in our house when somebody takes a toy from someone else. Hypothetically, there are moments when somebody looks at me. He's looking at me. Hypothetically, there's moments when somebody touches you. Right. Like crosses the line when your car seat and like next to each other. Right. There's just moments when somebody says something mean. or They look at me or something like did something, whatever. The reality is these moments happen a lot of times all throughout the day. And so here's kind of what happens, right? So I don't know, again, each child may have a different demeanor, but oftentimes they come running saying, hey, here's what they did, right? Here's typically our response. Hey, guys, what's, what's Jesus saying in Matthew 18 that you are to do if somebody sins against you? Go to them one-to-one. Have you done that? No. Then, then, then don't come to us. Jesus says go first to them one-to-one. Tell them that what they've done in whatever way, whatever action was, right? It, it hurts you. hurts your feelings, whatever. And you're going to ask them to please stop. If that doesn't happen, right, then the next step is, guess what? One or two witnesses. Then you come to mom or dad. We're going to have to step in and weigh some evidence because usually there's going to be two sides to the argument, right? 
we, we give some caveats to that. So it's not like a strict hard rule, right? If there's a physical threat, if there's danger, right? So we, we tell our kids similar, like this is how you ought to operate at school. If there's an issue at school, don't be going tattling to your teacher, right? You need to talk about it with that other kid. But if there's a physical threat, danger, right? Those are moments in which you kind of overstep and go immediately to authority. So again, I want to be wise in that. But it's been helpful for us. Why? Because it helps them handle many problems one-to-one. It deals with issues in the heart. It deals with moments of of having to hear someone talk to you about the fact that what you're doing is sinful. I'm hoping and praying that they're going to be prepared that one day as they walk in the church, they're going to understand this is what church discipline should look like. So again, this is extremely helpful. Again, maybe your parents like us and you struggle and you're wondering, how do we even handle all this? And the kids are fighting. And Guess what? We don't get it right a lot. If you're around here, you'll know that. But our aim is to follow Matthew 18 in our home, and it's been extremely helpful in dealing with issues. So the question might come now. All right, we've gone one-to-one. That didn't work. We've now taken one or two spiritual brothers, spiritual sisters along with us. They've heard. They've talked. They also feel that this person is violating the scriptures. They've compelled them in humility, grace, right? In the background of this, you're going to see there's times of prayer, right? So again, this isn't like, oh, we have a conversation today. I want to meet with you tonight with two people. And if that doesn't work next Sunday, I'm coming to the church. That's not it. This is not like a sprint. This is grace. It's kindness. It's humility. It's walking in love. But the question might be, if those things don't work, where do we go next? And I think third and last, Jesus says this, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. Listen to what he says. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. If I'm being really honest today, this text stings. Because I think there's been many moments as a church where we've had one-to-one. Many of you guys, have you've one-to-one. There's been moments when we've had that didn't work, and so we brought one or two others along to have some really hard conversations. But if I'm really honest today, in my time here, we failed to follow Jesus' commands of verse 17. And because of that, i just be honest, I need to repent and say I'm sorry. I've messed it up. I haven't been obedient to the Scriptures. Right? I mean, again, we want to make disciples. Think about it. As a teacher, right? I mean, in your classroom... You're teaching and trying to help them see, but you also have to correct, don't you, to help them see, like, ah, that's not right. Like, you can't just keep letting going on saying 2 plus 2 is 5. That's just it's not loving, right? You need to say 2 plus 2 is 4, right? As parents, we have to realize, man, we love our kids, but there's just times when we have to, right? I mean, we just have to say this is the truth. I mean, I, I, I hope when you go to your doctor, physician, like, I mean, you love the fact when they tell you all the things that's going right, but if they run tests, you you want that doctor, that physician to say, hey, here's what's wrong. So the reality is discipline is in every area of our life, and it's good. It's helpful. Here it is in the church. And there's been times, let's be honest with you, man, we failed here. We've not walked here. And what can happen often is that is, is the outcome of it can, be, can have some really strong results, hurtful things happen. Maybe those that have been involved in the one to twos, they look like the bad guys, and maybe it begins to create hurt in that person, that person, their family. The rest of the church, maybe they're not aware. They hear about it only a hearsay. And so they're wondering, how do they handle this? Or should they have handled it like that? The community at large maybe hears different fragments and things happening out there. And they're wondering what takes place. But I think the even greater problem than just those things is this. Is that God has designed the church to keep you and I walking in holiness. And when we reject that, we are missing one of the greatest helps for all of us as believers. Why? Because the aim of this is to restore them. 
That's the aim. Why? Because the glory of Christ. He died for a holy church. He died, right? And we've been studying there this morning with the kids in Sunday school, Colossians 3, 9 and 10, right? To put off the old self since you've been made new and put on the new self to be like Christ. Right? There's a call for a transformed life. And guys, we need the church. I mean, think about this for a moment. I mentioned force, man. I mean, just, it just that being willing. Can you imagine? Maybe you had an area of your life and you think about a godly, fellas, you think about a godly man here in the church hearing about that. And he comes to sit down and talk with you. Can you imagine how that might weigh on you? I mean, think about this. I think about like Celsie Stewart and like Thursday mornings we would meet for prayer and hearing her just in this humility praying, oh God, right? The meditations of my heart and the thoughts of my mind and may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Ladies, could you imagine like a Celsie Stewart coming and saying, sister, I've heard this about your life. They share church. I mean, just again, just some general details. I'm concerned, I'm broken for you, I'm praying for you, but sister, I want to compel you to return to the truth of the Scriptures. Can you imagine what weight that might have? And again, those are just two examples of those who have gone before us. There are many. You're blessed to be in a church of godly senior men and women who are in Christ, who have been so faithful. We need them. Again, notice, though, the slow pace that the church is taking. Look what he says. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile tax collector. So notice the progression again, the slowness that's happening here. So again, we've had the one-to-one. We've had the one-to-two-to-three. Had the conversation. Look what he says here now. Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church. So listen to what happens here. So the church has now heard about it, right? Again, there's some general information shared. It's not about attempt to shame that person or their family, right? So you're maybe hearing some just some general details being shared at, at, at a members meeting, right, as, as the church body comes. I know we define those as business meetings, but again, you're thinking about that group of, of the body of believers coming. The church hears it. Now listen to what happens here. Jesus assumes that this person is going to be listening or hearing something from the church. So the assumption is, right, the church hears about the issue, and then there's a time between when the church hears about it that the church body goes and spends intentional time in prayer, and the church body is looking to go and talk to that person, right? Individual members of the church is looking to go and have hard conversations, yes. But again, think about it. If Forrest Kelly, Celsey Stewart, those are just two had these conversations with you. Can you imagine the impact those moments might have on you? So Jesus is saying again, let it be slow. I think it's, it's helpful, right? One, because it gives the church body an opportunity to act, to be a part of it, to go and compel. Secondly, it gives the church body time to ask questions. Right? How was this handled? What, what, what's happening here? Help me better understand. So again, the church body is going to have an opportunity to ask some general questions. So he says, tell it to church. The church body has the opportunity to pray, to go to that person, but if they refuse to listen even to the church, Jesus says, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. The Jewish audience that day would have absolutely understood it. For us, we don't live in a Jewish context. So I want to share this biblical scholar, Albert Barnes. This is in actually 1830, so this is not like hear this and think, oh, this is something new we're doing in the church. I mean, this has been a part of the church throughout history. From Jesus' words here in Matthew 18, listen to what he writes. He speaks about Gentiles and tax collectors. He says they were people of abandoned character and the Jews would have no contact with them. The meaning of this is, is this. Cease to have religious contact with him or to acknowledge him as a Christian brother. It does not mean that we should cease to show kindness to him and not aid him in affliction or trial. For that is required toward all people. 
But it means that we should disown him as a Christian brother and treat him as we do other people not connected with the church. This should not be done until all these steps are taken. This is the only way of kindness. This is the only way to preserve peace and purity in the church. Again, right? these are hard words, but the aim is to preserve peace in the church body, but also for a purity, a holiness amongst God's people. Right In the context, listen, the church is saying we can no longer affirm that brother or sister's confession. We, we've gone to them. We've spent time in prayer. Here's what the Scriptures say. And now we're having this hard moment. Now, is that person welcome to attend the church? Absolutely. The same as if we invite all non-believers. Right? But the reality is this. That person, same with a non-believer, wouldn't be welcome to partake of the Lord's Supper. Right. And similar things. Think about this. Right. I mean, if someone comes forward to join the church or be a part of the church, we want to hear their confession. Right. Understand. Do they understand salvation? Do we see genuine evidence of repentance? And then we affirm them and baptize them. Right. The church does that. Now the church is saying, hey, listen, that happened at some point. But now this person's life is not continuing to bear witness to that. And so, therefore, the church, the Lord's Supper, would say, hey, listen, Again, Jesus is saying treat them as a Gentile tax collector, as, in essence, a non-believer. It's hard. I think this quote stuck out to me this week. It says this, The church has lost its ability to discipline members who live openly in sin. Consequently, we have lost our witness in the community. The man who said that? Billy Graham. Hear it again. Hear the words of Billy Graham on church discipline. The church has lost its ability to discipline members who live openly in sin. Consequently, we have lost our witness in the community. His point is the church is called to be a holy, godly people, and we don't live set apart. It tells non-believers out there you can live any way you want and still get to heaven. That's hard. And it's a stinging word here from our Savior. But we ought to hear it. Look what he says to them further. Verse 18, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Remember back in Matthew 16, Jesus spoke to Peter as the representative of the apostles, giving them the keys to the kingdom. And listen, he's saying now, listen, this, this authority that was from the, the, the apostles right now is passing down. And it's to the church body, right? And so it comes to places like Greensburg Baptist, right? We have this authority. Jesus says, I truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's encouraging them. These are hard steps, but he's saying this is the responsibility of the church. Jesus knows this is going to be super hard, so he leaves us with two verses as like haymakers of encouragement. Verse 20, you're going to know immediately when you hear it. I think the context is going to help you understand it better. Look what he says, verse 19 and 20 as we close. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, what church? There I am among them. The reality is, verse 20, right, is often taken as one of those verses to say, well, hey, we got two or three people here tonight, so we're good. Jesus is among us. I, I, I want to push against that because the temptation can be to think that when you meet alone with Jesus, just one-on-one and with the word and prayer, that he's not present because two or three aren't there. That's not it, right? Again, you, you, now you hear the context and know, oh, so when he's saying two or three, right, back kind of like to those witnesses, he knows it's going to be really, really hard to have these kind of conversations. He knows that we're going to be tempted either to look the other way or just avoid that person, right, and just kind of close out on that relationship. He knows that's going to be the temptation. He knows that we're going to say, man, this is really hard. I myself struggle with sin. Like, this is going to be, this is not going to be easy. 
And so he says to us, again, hear the context in verse 20. This is a verse that's often used, and I want you to understand the depth, the riches of it. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. He says, I want you to know I'll be with you. I'll strengthen you. You're not walking through this alone, church. He says, I want you to know I care about the holiness of my bride. The church is Christ's bride. He's not okay with his bride just going and living any way she wants. No more than I assume any husband will be okay with his wife living any way she wants. Nor a wife okay with her husband living any way he wants. It's the holiness of Christ's bride. He says, I want you to know, guys, these are going to be hard moments, but I will be with you. Wow. I think it's also a moment of hope that you need to understand that even after this moment, the church has acted, right? And and this brother or sister has been disciplined by the church. That that does not mean that they are not able to be restored. Repentance can still come. The church doesn't give up then and say, we signed the paper, so to speak, whatever. No, the truth is no one is too far gone. Why? Because Jesus can save to the uttermost. He loves the one that has wandered away and He continues to pursue them. And the church ought to follow our good Savior and our good Shepherd. I think this story reminds us of God's pursuit of restoring us and transforming us to holy lives. The truth is, the first, you might, again, the word sometimes used, excommunication. The first discipline, so to speak, in the Bible happened all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. And what did God do? He put them outside the garden. God disciplined them. But there's good news that another son of Adam came and his name was Jesus. Instead of disobeying God the Father, he obeyed him perfectly in every moment, every step of his life. He obeys him perfectly. But here's what happens that's crazy. This guy who lived a sinless, perfect life ends up on the cross. But he's not there dying for his own sin and rebellion. He's dying for the sins of all the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. He's dying in our place as our substitute. Pain, the wrath, the punishment that we owe to God. And he's crucified and dies on the cross. They bury him. But on the third day, church, by the power of God, Jesus Christ is raised from the dead to declare that he is victory over sin, victory over our shame. He has won the payment of sin. And the good news is, for anyone here today who may be in fear of that eternal excommunication from God, so to speak, in a place the Bible calls hell, There's one who came to rescue you from it, that you could be restored to the Father and have peace with God. And that is available to you today by grace. You can't earn it or deserve it. You've not messed up too much to make yourself unworthy of it. It's great grace. Today, you are invited by faith to put your faith and trust in him as the one who paid your discipline, that you could walk into God's presence free, forgiven, hopeful, joyful. Today, do you know that? Today, this is a hard text. Uh, I'm guessing that many of you in hearing it have felt like, oh man, I can see why that brother was nervous having to come preach this. I think it's another reminder to us of the church. This is why we preach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because these would be texts that are just easy to run from. But the truth is we need to hear it. We need to see this from God's Word. It may conjured up in you or reminded you of situations you need to go to -to one-to-one. 
It may be a reminder of some situations you've been going one-to-one. You may need to invite another brother or sister spiritual among us to go and have conversations. It may be a hard moment for us as a church to say, man, we haven't done what Jesus said here. And as a biblical, faithful disciples, a community, as a church, we got to start taking that step. This is hard. But beloved, spiritual growth always begins with discomfort. Let's pray for God to strengthen us. Lord, it is no secret to you that I've had anxiety over this. I've had anxiety as I've preached, even as I look out amongst the church body. I'm dealing with anxiety right now. But God, that doesn't change the truth of your word. Your word is faithful. Your word is true. Father, I pray today that you would give grace to those who have heard this and have not liked it. I pray for grace today for those who may hear this and think, man, is he talking about me? Is he trying to say something about this situation or that? Lord, I I just pray that, God, your grace and your kindness would help all of us walk in humility. It would be as, I remember Tony Jewell many years ago telling me, Blake, Don't assume you always know the motives of other people's hearts. We often get that wrong. Lord, that's been a good word for me. And I I pray that maybe it would be that for others in this room. Lord, I just ask right now that you would strengthen the church to be obedient to your word and to walk this path in humility and submission to you and the power of the Spirit, God, because we want to see our brothers and sisters restored. That's our hope. Lord God, let us have that joy, that aim, that attitude of restoration through repentance by grace through faith. I pray this help, God, your strength would now do the work. Please, God, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.